0: To Acts chapter 2. This is the church's mandate, the Magna Carta of the church. This is the place where we go to find out what church should look like. Beginning in the 42nd verse, we read, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, And fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let us pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you. That we can give you all of us as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in your sight, which is really the least that we can do when we consider all that you've done. Now take this word and cause it to stir us in a way that we will not leave as we came. Father, I pray that you would touch us and and cause us to know that each one of us has Personally, commune with you, and we'll be so careful to give you the praise because we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. The event was held in the renowned auction house Sotheby's in London, England
0: at one of its 80 locations in 40 different countries around the world. What made this auction unique is that the artist used spray
1: paint to compose his picture he calls Girl with Balloon. That's deep, isn't it? Adding to the
0: intrigue about the street painter who is known around the world as Banksy is the fact that his true identity remains a mystery. Nobody really knows who he is. He just paints stuff on the corner, and it's it's really well done. And his work is known throughout the world. When the final bid, was made by a person calling on his cell phone, a record had been
1: set. The bidder offered $1.4 million for street art.
0: Made me want to go get some spray paint. (laughs) See what I can do. When the auctioner closed the bidding, He announced that the prize painting would be sold to the person offering $1.4 billion. Struck down the gavel, and then something very, very strange happened. That the canvas that the picture was on separated from the frame, and it began to slide through the base, and the $1.4 million picture was shredded. itself.
1: Destructed. The girl in the balloon was gone. Shock filled the room. Once they discovered that
0: someone had secretly, a year ago, probably the artist had secretly built in a shredder in the event that his picture was sold, that it would be self. Destructed. Think about the possibilities. What might you do with $1.4 million? I don't know about you, but I think I could do a couple things. So the artist, the possibility for the artist was that he was about to receive $1.4 million
1: in a payday for spray paint. God bless him. While the purchaser
0: was prepared to take ownership of a painting that he admired enough to fork up $1.4 million. I wonder where people, I, God bless those who are into the arts and uh, things of that nature, where they get that kind of money to go buy a baseball card or some other uh, paraphernalia, uh, artifact, and just write a check for $1.4 million. In the end, what could have been and should have been never happened. Somebody decided to booby trap the painting to prevent the seller and the buyer from experiencing their possibilities. What could have and should have happened, with all the sermons on second mile Christians and what that means going the extra mile, Jesus said if somebody asks you for your coat, Uh, your shirt, give them your coat. If they ask you to go one mile, go two miles. What distinguishes believers today is doing that which is extra without looking for recognition or credit, somebody
1: patting you on the back or putting your name up in lights. A possibility
0: in the secular realm, when the world talks about a possibility, I was reading about a guy who won $19 million uh, with a lottery ticket. And within five years, he was completely broken, robbing banks. And now he's uh, in a more comfortable home than the garage of his friend's house. He's in jail.
1: But people will stand in line for hours and spend thousands of dollars with the hope or possibility, the chance that they might, out of
0: all the millions of people that are trying to win the lottery, that they might be that individual. And so possibilities in the realm of the world or the secular, it has to do with chance, has to do with what the world calls luck, something that may or may not happen. But when we talk about possibilities in the Word of God, what we're actually talking about, are God's conditional promises. God's conditional promises. And a conditional promise is this. It's not something that might happen. But it has to do with when it comes to us as Christians, it's something that could and will happen, the promise will and could happen if you meet
1: the condition. If you meet God's condition the promise will be yours. That's a possibility
0: if you meet the condition. There are unconditional promises. All you got to do is be saved. You don't have to do nothing. Just be a Christian. But possibilities have to do with the unconditional or the conditional promises of God. Let me share some examples. In Psalm 37, verse 4, David writes, Delight yourself in the Lord. That's the condition. The promise is, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want the desires of your heart? Here's the condition. Delight, take pleasure in the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, and his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate both day and night. So if you want God to give you the desires of your heart because he ain't going to give you the desires of your heart if they don't match the will of his word and they won't match until his word
1: becomes your delight. Here's another example. Thou will keep him in perfect peace.
0: Where's my peace? Why am I nervous? Why am I anxiety? Give me my drugs. The Bible says if you keep your mind on him. So the promise is I will keep my side of the bargain. You will have complete total peace if you keep your thoughts on me. Here's one I like in, in um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And so the condition is, don't be worrying about anything. Instead of worrying, God says, pray about everything. And then the first seven says, and the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension will guard your heart through Christ Jesus. Well, why am I still worrying? Why am I? Because you didn't do what the condition required. Don't worry about anything, but pray. And the prayer of faith says when I give it to God, he's got it because he says, if I cast my cares upon him, he will handle it. And so the condition is not worrying and start praying, and then God will give you peace peace of God will guard your heart. What we discover in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, is that God is the artist. Jesus, through his blood, is the purchaser. And the name of the picture is God's ecclesia, not the girl with balloon. It's God's Ecclesia, God's church, God's called out ones. The painting is a picture of all of the potential of what the church could and should be in him. What we're going to discover today as we bring this series to a close, is that second-class Christ, second-mile Christians. There are two things that we're going to discover about second-mile Christians. is one, the possibilities of God are available to New Direction Bible fellowship. If you are a believer, and we specifically want to cast this as a, a God's mandate for this church and for all of you who are here, God's blessings are available to us. His possibilities are available to this church. And then, secondly, the payments, the New Direction Bible Fellowship, can be can be expected when we say yes to God's possible. You should expect divine payment of His promise when you say yes, and yes means that when you are obedient to the condition, you can get what God promised.
1: Amen? Now, we need to be careful that God promised it.
0: God didn't promise some of the things that we're claiming, some of those things that you heard on TV, and so we want to be careful, but whatever God says That he is going to do, if you do what he tells you to do, expect your promise. The possibility of God's promises are available to you as a believer and to this church. And I want to share some scripture. There are actually five things that are available. Possibility number one that's available to you. Say spiritual victory. victory. And this is going to be very commonsensical. It's basic, but it's it's going to bless you if you receive it. And by spiritual victory, I mean living the Spirit-controlled life. I didn't just cuss. Some of you don't know what
1: I'm talking about. The Spirit-filled life. Now, listen to some scripture. The promise of
0: the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is unconditional. Say unconditional. And I'll, it'll become clear what I mean by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Listen at what uh, Jesus promised before. He went back to heaven. In John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. We know that passage. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place. And he said, but when I'm away, I've already prayed. He says, I've, I will pray to the Father in verses 15 through 18. I will pray to the Father that he will give you a comforter, a paracletos, a helper. And he will abide with you forever, and dwell with you, remain with you forever. And his name is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because, neither, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Not only will he be with you, but the Holy Spirit that Jesus said will come after me will reside in you. And so when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we're talking about God, the Holy Spirit, Living inside of every believer, the moment you got saved, you were baptized. All of us into the same spirit, according to First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse thirteen. That happened at the moment you said yes. The Bible says we're not saved by the righteousnesses we have done, but according to His mercy, He has delivered us. He has set us free. He has rescued us from the penalty and power of sin through the washing. And the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The word regeneration means to be made alive spiritually. The moment you got saved, you and your dead self in the spiritual realm. Because we were born D-O-A, dead on arrival spiritually, separated from God. The Spirit of Lot quickens us, made us alive. And when He did that, He took up residency. He lives in you. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Don't you know? That you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit indwells, lives, resides, makes it its home or his home in you. And then it adds, if anyone defiles the temple of God, that temple will be destroyed, which temple you are. And so what happens the moment I got saved, the moment you got saved, the promise is that every believer has a spirit of God living in him or her that makes victorious Christian living possible and so the first possibility is that we can live victoriously we can live the life that God requires of us as Christians you cannot do this on your own
1: you need the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit now here's the promise the conditional part of
0: it the power from the filling of the Holy Spirit is conditional. It's not automatic. Indwelling happens for every believer once and for all in every instance where faith in Christ plus nothing else is exercised. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit sets you apart through baptism and indwelling. But being filled with the Spirit occurs as you are obedient. It's a command. And In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. In fact, the verb, be filled, is actually more of a, it's a command, but it's in the present progressive tense. Keep on being filled. And so while the promise is unconditional, all of us have the Spirit living in us. The requirement conditional, the conditional promise for victory is that you must obey the command, be filled. And keep on being filled. The reason why we need to obey the command is because the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul puts it this way. He says, for the spirit warrants against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And so even though you're saved, we still have the old nature. And so in order for the new man to be in operating the way God wants him to, we must be filled. We must be filled. To be filled with the Spirit means to be led by him, to be yielded, to surrender. Paul says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. It means to be captivated under his control. It means to be activated by the Spirit of God. That means to be energized. What you're doing is not in your own power, but in his power. Jesus said, but when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power. And so when I'm filled with the Spirit of God, I am activated, captivated, and then I am also motivated because I'm not doing my will, but I'm doing his will. And so to be filled means that you must yield. Every single day, throughout the day, you must be asking the Lord as a wife, as a husband, as a a son, a daughter, or work, Lord, fill me, control me, yield, cause me to yield and surrender. So that all that I do or say, that every thought is on that which is above. It is not automatic, even when you're thinking church thoughts and religious thoughts. We don't want to think church thoughts or religious thoughts. We want to think biblical thoughts. In order to do that, you need to be filled. The word pleromata is a Greek word meaning to be filled. And it's it's not to suggest. It's like if you can imagine in your mind, you go to the gas station, your car's on empty, and you fill it up, and you tap it until it's it's overflowing. And so we say our tank is full. Amen? When the Bible says be filled the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that you're ever depleted of the Holy Spirit, that you need to go get, a re- get, get more Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus speaking, says God does not give his spirit in measure. We all have the same amount of Holy Spirit. <laughs> We all have the same amount of divine power that the Holy Spirit makes available to us. The issue is, is not whether your tank is full. The issue is, are you turning the ignition on to use the gas that's in the tank? Be yielded. Be surrendered so you can be captivated, motivated,
1: and activated by the Holy Spirit. How do you know when you are filled with the Spirit of God?
0: What we're talking about is possibilities, the possibility of living a victorious Christian life in such a way that men will ask a reason of the hope that is within you, that people will see the light of Christ shining through you. You're not waving a sign. You don't have a big cross around your neck. You're not carrying the biggest Bible on your shoulder to prove how saved you are on on Sunday morning, but your life is declaring The presence of the Lord in such a way that people say, Jesus must be real. How do you know? I'm glad you asked. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, you need to write this down. Here's how you know, aside from the fruit of the Spirit, here's how you're going to know in a very practical way when you're yielded, surrendered, controlled by the Spirit of God. Verse 19 says, speaking to one another, And songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things. How many things? To who? The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another. For what reason? Well, he's going to hit me if I don't. (laughs) He may not come home. She may not come home. She got the money. Y'all sure want her coming home. <laughs> Here are four ways that you know when you're under, when you're captivated, motivated, and activated by the Holy Spirit of God. First thing it will have an impact on is your worship. It will change your worship. The Bible says singing and making melody in your heart to God. And worship is not what you did when you raised your hand during the praise and worship team. Worship is showing God worthyship. It is an act of obedience. So whenever I obey the word of God, I am worshiping him. I'm acknowledging his significance. I'm acknowledging him for his worth. And so one of the things that will be impacted When you are filled with the Spirit, you ain't going to be worried about who's sitting next to you because it's going to be about him and not them. They're singing melodies in their heart. You may not be able to hold a tune. You may be like me, half don't know the words. But that be all right because you're not singing to them.
1: You're singing to him, and it's from your heart.
0: When you're filled with the Spirit of God and living victoriously, it'll, it'll change your worship. Sometimes God can't bless you because you're too conscious of everything that's around you. Sometimes God can't give you your breakthrough because you won't break through to him. Sometimes he can't give you a breakthrough because you ain't desperate enough. You ain't willing to let yourself go to grab a hold of God. Some of us have not come to that place where Jacob said, Lord, until you bless me, I'm not going to let you go. You may hurt
1: my leg. You might, I may be in imbe- Whatever it takes. I'm not letting you go. Have you ever had
0: that kind of experience where you had, and I've said this before, until your children experience God for themselves, they are serving a God that is based on your faith and not theirs. What we experienced on last Sunday, these young folk got to praying and singing and testifying, something's happening. (laughs) This ain't daddy and mommy's no more. I love daddy and mommy, but can't nobody do me like Jesus? It will also change your words. It will change your words. The Bible said giving thanks always for all things in God. Isn't it amazing that when you feel the Holy Spirit, you're not complaining, you're not being critical. You're not putting yourself down. You're not tearing yourself apart. You're seeing what God sees rather than what the flesh sees. That's stuff that we're saying. The Bible says the power of life and death is in your tongue. And the things that we're saying about ourselves, God never said it. The devil is a liar. But when the spirit has captivated you and activated you and motivated you, Your words will change. You will give thanks for all things, for this is the will of God concerning you. Not because of all things, but because of who is in all things. Your words will change. Your worship will change. Your will will change. Here's one of the clearest evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit being in charge. He said in verse 21, submitting to one another. Your words will change, your worship will change, and your will will change. You won't have any problem coming under the authority of others. You will have no problem becoming what you ought to be as a wife in your marriage, a husband in your marriage, a child to your parents. When you are controlled by the Spirit of God, your will will change. It will not be your way. It will be thy will be done. Here's another thing that will change. Your work, your worship, your, your worship, your words, your will, but your works will change. Before he says to the wives, the husband, the children, the employers, the employees, at the end of Ephesians chapter, uh, beginning of verse 22 through 32, and then through chapter 6, verse 9, before he even tells employees and employees what to do, he says, be filled! You're not going to be able to do this if you're not controlled by the Spirit. So what happens when I am yielded to the Holy Spirit and surrendered, I can, my works will change towards my husband, my wife, my children will be obedient as unto the Lord, not because I'm a perfect parent, but because they are under the control of the Spirit, they will do it as unto the Lord. Employees will treat their employers with respect and honor, and employees, employers will treat their employees properly. Somebody say Amen. That's how you know. I know they told you you need not speak in tongues. When you gonna shout? Will you be on the morning's bench? Did you say oh, gee, 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 Oh, gee, Turn to the left, turn around. the right. All you did is some gibberish and then went out and still sinned. This is the word. Your worship will change. Your will will change. Your words will change. Your work will change. And that will say, by their fruits, you'll know them. Not by their, the manifestation of some spirit. You will know them by their fruit. Here's a second possibility. Spiritual maturity. Say spiritual maturity. Victory and maturity aren't the same. You can have momentarily victories. You celebrating the Lord right now. You ain't in front of your computer. <laughs> you can't be going to those sites right now, at least hopefully you're not. Put the cell phone down. Cease and desise, desist. But spiritual maturity, that's why the Bible says, lay hands on no one suddenly, lest they be lifted up in pride. And the word that he says, don't lay hands on not a novice, an immature carnal Christian that can be extremely gifted, extremely knowledgeable, uh, of the word, but Immature. Here's the promise. Here's the promise. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it's the key verse in all the New Testament. We heard it last week. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you, you're under construction. I don't know where the construction is, but the foundation has been laid, and that foundation is none other than Jesus Christ. He who began a good work will complete it, will perform it until the day of redemption. And the, the key was that he began the work in you. You go down a little further, but work out your own. Work out what God has already worked in. You can't work it out if he hadn't worked it in. We're not working to get saved, but because I'm saved, I can work it out because
1: he's already worked it in.
0: The maturity. The promise is that he's began and he's going to finish. But here's the process. Here's how you become spiritually mature. There are four steps. Oh, he's got a lot of steps today. Here we go with the one, two, three. No, it's four, not three, see? <laughs> Here are the steps to biblical maturity. The first thing that needs to happen, the Bible says in, the, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You need to be taught the word of God, and you need to study on your own as a newborn babe craving the sincere milk of the word of God. Don't just go to your YouTube. Don't just listen to the pastor's sermon. You need to open up this book or open up your tablet, and you need to begin, as Paul says, study to show who self? So. yourself, self-approved workman who need not be ashamed, rightly cutting straight the word of God. And so the first step towards spiritual maturity, David said, I heard, I've hid your word in my heart. So what? I may not sin against you. So the faith comes by hearing. And so hearing. So the first step towards maturity in Christ is not to join a ministry in the church. I'm a part of the Holy Beads for Jesus, I'm a part of the Dixie Cups for Christ. <laughs> the 105 women in, in scarlet white. Is there a scarlet white? No, red. <laughs> All right. You need to be taught the Word of God. Secondly, so teaching for instruction. Secondly, need, there, need, there will be testing for application. Sometimes we think we all that I was acing all the tests at school. I was I studied. I wrote, memorized it, but that didn't mean I didn't go from the test on paper. And did exactly what I said I wouldn't do. Amen. Oh, wretched man, are you? <laughs> Who shall deliver you? I said. Paul said, "Who shall deliver me Amen. from this body of sin?" Listen to what James chapter one verses two through four says. My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into trials, into testing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, endurance, teaches you how to wait and lean on God. Anybody know how to lean on Him? Stretch, they old folks, you say, I'm stretching out. Oh, God. Scratching out. They don't say stretch. Scratching out. (laughs) But let patience have her complete, perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. And so the tests are what God uses for application to show you where you really is. You cussed again. You did it again. You learned all the Bible verses on the tongue. And the first time you had a test and the pastor's driving up beside you, (laughs) you're telling somebody how you can help them get their act together. (laughs) Testing is a part of spiritual maturity. And what the Lord allows to happen to you is more for your benefit. You ought to trouble your troubles. It's for your benefit. It's for your good. God is trying to grow you up and show you how you can endure, how you can rise above, how you can mount up with
1: wings of eagles in the midst of your storm. But if every time you got a storm, you revert back to your old Adamic ways, you haven't grown.
0: And guess what? You don't get to skip a grade. You will face the same test. You can change churches a hundred times. Keep on dating churches all you want. You're going to meet the same problem wherever you go. Somebody say amen. Got kind of quiet up in there. All right, teaching for instruction, testing for application. But we also need team. Say team. For edification. Here's what verse 46 says in Acts chapter 2. So continually daily on one accord in the temple and breaking bread from what? From house to house. Your team are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We say it all the time. Iron sharpens iron. You will never become everything that you can be without me. And I will never become everything that I can be without you. That's why we need to be working together, not against each other. We're on the same team. And so what you are doing, the Bible talks about every joint being fitted and and, 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 and nourished properly, knitted together, so that we will grow up into a mature man, not being tricked by every wind of false doctrine. We need team. You need to come to church, the Bible says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Somebody can put a fire under you, you can stay home all you want, but you're not going to get what you get when you come. The Bible said, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves as a manner of some, but encouraging one another so much the more as you see the evil day approaching.
1: You need team. You need team. Who's a part of your team? Oh, it breaks my heart when I know people are struggling. As a shepherd,
0: you know your sheep. And sometimes I depend on the elders and and leaders to help me to know my sheep. Because the Bible says that a stranger, they'll follow one shepherd. They can't follow multiple shepherds. Sheep will get confused. And then they become prey and vulnerable. But nothing breaks my heart more than to know that somebody's struggling and they don't know that you know. We don't want to know because we just, some people just want to know your business. That ain't how it is here. We love you like that. We want to, the Bible says, those who are spiritual should restore. And we are our brothers. Didn't the scripture say that or did I just make that up? Let me run on. Here's another requirement. Team for edification, testing for application, teaching for instruction, but time for validation. You just don't become spiritual because you join the choir or somebody decide to ordain you. You don't know any more Bible than the person who just rolled out of the bar. You sure can sing. Boy, can't that man sing. And look at all those gold. I don't know how he got all that gold up in his mouth. He probably don't know either and don't know how to get it out. Listen to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. And, and before I read that, listen to this. Although we will never reach a point in our walk with God while we're on earth when we, when we can say we've arrived, you never reach perfection in our flesh, this side of heaven. But over a period of time, we can have what is called a grown-up, growing relationship with Christ. That's what spiritual maturity is. It is a grown-up, growing relationship with Christ. You never fully arrive. You
1: aren't sinless, but you are sinning less and less. Listen to what Hebrews says. For though by now you ought to be teachers, there's a time here. You need
0: someone to teach you again the first principles, the oracles of God. You have come to need milk again, not solid food. But here's what he says about the mature. But the solid food belongs to those who are f- of full age. Mature, that is, those who by reason of use of having their senses exercised through the word, you learn how to discern evil from good from the word of God. He gives you wisdom to choose good from evil over time because you have allowed yourself to apply the scriptures to your, to your life situation. Here's how I knew when I was growing up in the Lord. This is just me. I'm sorry. When I could relate brushing my teeth to the scriptures, I was like, oh, there's a verse for that too. Where is it? It says, don't you know that you're the temple of God if any man don't brush his teeth? (laughs) If any man defiles the temple of God. So one of the things that happens as you're growing up in the Lord over time You are exercised. You are in the gymnasium, the word of God, and it stretches you to the point where you know how to apply God's word in every situation. You have the mind of God. Possibility number three. We're moving on. Maturity, victory. Here's here's the third thing. This is going to sound a little different for some of you. We'll have spiritual community. Say community. Now all who believed, verse forty-four, were together community, and all things they had all things in common. All things in common community, and sold their possessions and good. Oh, time for me to leave church. time to me sell some of my stuff, some of my jewelry, some of my all that. Oh no. I know I can't sit it. I don't even know where it is, but I ain't giving it away. I might be able to get down to that one and a half. It might just happen. Okay. I'll be visiting you as a hospice chaplain if you get down to a one and a half. And divided them among them all as anyone had need. The New Testament word for community is koinonia. It's translated fellowship, partnership, communion. It means to be a joint participant in, to share something in common. The word koinonia means two fellas in the same ship. We're on the same boat. We're in the same boat. We got the same DNA from God. Is that right? Now, a healthy church is more than a Sunday morning gathering and a Wednesday night Bible study. They met from house to house daily. And so if our church stops once you leave this building, we're not a healthy church. That's not, com- that's not community. And one of the things that we mo- I want to move towards going forward in the new year is life groups coming together because if you're struggling by yourself, by the time we find out, you're going to be so deep in your hurt and destruction that we may not be able to help you. But if you're a part of community, now here are four, here's four things that are true of a good church that has community. First thing is going to be they, they will, you'll, you'll have commitment. There'll be a commitment to all believers, not just some people in the church my friends, my girl, my guy. It says to one another, all. And you know what's really interesting? Of all the relationships that the Lord says that will last forever, I hear people say, when I die, I'm going to see my mother. She's waiting for me. When I die, daddy's going to be there. When I die, my baby's going to be there. Not as your baby, not as your husband, not as your daddy. The Bible says there's no marriage or given in the marriage. When we or in the presence of the Lord, we're going to be like Jesus. Mommy ain't going to be no 90-year-old walking around. Hey, baby, it's so glad to see you in heaven. No, he said, we shall see him, and we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This corruptible body will put on incorruption. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you mad, but that's Bible. But the only relationship that will last after we're gone is the koinonia. We are We are connected by the blood of Jesus. Christians are going to live eternity together. So if you don't like me now, oh, God, you're going to be spending eternity with me if we go to the same place. Commitment to all believers. You ought to have some people in your life who can tell you the truth. There'll be some people that you can call three o'clock in the morning and say, I'm hurting, I'm lonely. I just need somebody to talk to. There ought to be somebody in your life that's committed to you
1: through the community of the church that you know you can count on. Now, here's the deep thing: revelation
0: will bring people to church. They preach the word at that church. Pastor Benson really preached the word. Guess what keeps people at church? Relationships. When you ask, where's such and and so-and-so been? And nobody knows, because nobody, where there's no connection, there's no reason to stay. It don't matter how great the word is or how good
1: whatever the gifts are. You have people stay because of meaningful relationships. That's why people stay at a bad church. It's my church. I've been here for 40 years. They didn't
0: 10 pastors, and the last one's in jail. And I see his picture, you know, he's at the post office. And, but you're still there. Because your cousin's there, Uncle, Uncle Tom is there, and Maisie Bell is there. And. <laughs> Commitment to all believers, communal sharing. Say communal sharing. They had all things in common, and they sold their possessions. Nobody should ever have their electricity turned off here if they've been faithful. There are some people just neglectful. They ain't working. They're waiting for somebody to take care of them. I don't know about you. When I go to that YY's and I see grown, healthy men talking about help me get a cup of coffee, I say, get a job. I do. Pastor Ben. get a job. <laughs> get a job. What do you mean give you some money for a cup of coffee? You got dreadlocks more. Your hair look better than my hair. You got on new sneakers. Okay. Go back to your mother and she'll give you whatever you need. But this man ain't. So this, you don't need to say anything, though. Don't, don't do that. You're just, ask you, you just call, dealing with a foul spirit now. Don't, don't say anything. Excuse me. This was a church family that believed and practice a spirit of whatever God blesses me with. It's not just for me. It's for the kingdom of God. If I got food, you got food. If I got transportation, you got transportation. That ain't how we normally think Pastor. This is my members. This is my church. This is my congregation. What? This is the kingdom of God, and we are in this thing together. So if you're hungry, we're going to feed you. If we can keep your lights on, we're going to help you. But if you don't tell us, we can't help you do nothing. You're just
1: going to be sitting in the dark in your pride. They sold their possessions. Isn't it amazing
0: how we can give everybody else stuff away? Well, the church should help them. They don't need to if you can. Well... I mean, why should I have to? This is what the Bible says. They sold their possessions. Tony Evans in in, in Dallas, we're going to be finishing in. When they first got their land, they got like 16 acres of land. People sold their wedding rings, (laughs) divorcees. They traded in cars. I mean, they made personal sacrifices to say, when we get this
1: property, not only will we have enough to get started, we will be debt free. Moses had to
0: actually say to the congregation at one point, as they were preparing to collect an offering to build a temple house for God, he said to them, we don't need any more. We're not collecting an offering this Sunday. Wouldn't that be nice? that we're so generous to the people and and things of God that we could say one Sunday, we don't need to collect an offering this Sunday. Don't worry, we won't be saying that anytime soon, but it would be nice. (laughs) Here's another thing that's true of community. Consistently meeting in each other's home for food and fun, breaking bread from house to house They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. It's okay to laugh in church.
1: You're the host of God.
0: You better get serious. God ain't. You know God has a sense of humor. Look what He got to work with. You know He got a sense of humor. Oh, him again? That Benson guy.
1: Oh, Lord.
0: Consistently meeting in each other's home for food and fun. We have some people here who really have the gift of hospitality. Really have the gift of hospitality. And uh, what a blessing. People always want to be around you. I don't want to single anybody out, but Elder Gray and Sister Gray, they just are amazing. And they're not professional caterers. But you would think they were. And they never seem tired. When you're over the your house eating everything, <laughs> carrying out the whole container, you know. Don't need a container, Pastor. You don't have to. Yeah, but thank you. <laughs> Food and fellowship. That's how the church grows. You open up your home. You break bread with somebody. It doesn't have to be a feast. It doesn't have to be a five-star meal. Now, you should be able to cook or go buy something. Don't just don't, don't, don't mess people up. <laughs> So i be nice and eat somebody's food. <laughs> here's, the, here's the other thing about community. Not only were they consistently meeting in each other's home for food and fun, and communing with uh, communal sharing and commitment, here's the big thing. They had crazy love for each other, unconditional love. Out of all the things that Jesus said, he wanted to identify his church. If he, was, he didn't call it Baptist. He didn't call it Presbyterian. He didn't call it Methodist. He didn't call it Church of God in Christ. He said, here's how people will know my church. By your love. Not by your tattoos. Not by your piercings. Not by your auxiliary in the church. This ain't no auxiliary church. We ain't ever going to be that. But if people identify you as anything, well, I'm a part of this. I'm you, Are you known for your love? That's what impresses the Lord. He said, the reason they'll know that I existed is not because of the the degrees behind your name and the large size of the Father,
1: but they'll know it because of how you love one another. It's so amazing. We all want a hat. We want a bald head. We want to get our ears pierced. Grown
0: men. Nobody was thinking about no bald head until Michael Jordan got it. And tattoos? Why? I'm not against it, but we 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 want to be a part we we are a part of gangs, and then we bring a gang to the church. This is my crew. That's my no. We don't have no crew. We have a loving
1: body of Christ. That's our name. That's my team. Here's possibility number four in the final. This is the final possibility
0: here. Spiritual unity. This breaks my heart more than anything. Jesus said a house that is divided against each other cannot stand. The Bible says they were all on one accord. They had all things in common. Unity is the first thing that the devil
1: attacks in a church. Where you have individuals. There's one vision. God gives the shepherd of the house the vision. Where there are multiple visions, you
0: call that division. If you have anything with multiple heads, we call that a freak. That's not normal. That's not biblical. What you need to do is we need to find out what the vision is and then get behind the vision. And everything that you do, if it doesn't line up with the vision, it shouldn't happen in this house no more than it will happen wherever you live. You got a vision for your house and somebody going to walk up in there and tell you, no, we don't go to bed at that time. No, we ain't doing it like that. You're going to have a problem, especially if your wife says, okay, ma'am, okay, he ain't your husband. How is he? They were on one accord. A church can accomplish, even evil people, if they're unified, can accomplish great things. Unity is powerful. And so when somebody comes to you talking about somebody negatively in the church, that's division. Unless they're prepared to, let's go talk to that person right now. Let's go go fix this. Okay, if they aren't prepared to say to that person in their face what they're saying about them behind their back, That's division. Satan is the sower of discord. And when you're in carnality, somebody's going to find you and say something to you to keep you in your sin. You need to rebuke the spirit of division. They were on one accord. That's a possibility because you're a Christian, not because of the color of your skin or what family you were born in. It's because of we are one in Jesus. We can be one. That's a miracle. We come from all different backgrounds, all different experiences, different cultures, but in Jesus. We can have the same mind and the same heart. Isn't that amazing? Let me, now, let me finish with this. Here's the payday. Here's what happened when you had spiritual victory, when you had spiritual community, when you had spiritual unity. And what was the other thing? Spiritual maturity. I knew you knew. Mm-hmm. Here, here's what happened then fear came upon every soul. Worship broke out, a
1: fear of God
0: and a fervor for him. There was a desire to know this God. When the church is walking in unity and maturity and community and victory, the world will want to know God. We don't have to walk around, don't you understand I'm a Christian, don't you be cussing in front of me, put that cigarette out. No, if you walk with God, you've got authority. And people will have a reverence for God because of who you are in God. So worship, here's another thing. You might be hindering this in our church. Wonders and signs. The Bible says as they had everything in common and they were growing in maturity and so forth, God began to do wonders and signs. People started getting healed, and marriages started being delivered, and families started to come out of bondage, and all kinds of addictions were broken. I want you to understand that unity is that powerful. When we can touch and agree, God will do great things,
1: wonders and signs. That's the condition. The promise is if we obey, I want some wonders and
0: signs. Funders and signs, I want folks to be getting delivered from real stuff that they're struggling with. I want to have the kind of church where people can come and be honest about what they're wrestling with. And we can pray over them and lay hands
1: on them. And in that prayer, the authority of God will come upon and drive out. Works
0: will be a part of the payment. Real needs will be met. They didn't give to the greedy, they gave to the needy. I don't know what you think about Bishop Eddie Long. He's gone, and there's a lot of stuff out there about him. But one of the things that he would do, he'd have all the single women come to the front of the church. He said, how many of you have to catch the bus, more than one bus to get to church? They raised their hand. He said, how many of you have extra cars? They raised their hand, It's <laughs> all over. He said, before these ladies leave the altar... I'm asking God to move on your heart and make sure they have a vehicle. Now, they had to learn how to drive. <laughs> they had to get some insurance. People in the audience, how many of you are living in an apartment? You've been living in an apartment for more than five years, and you don't, you're not eligible for, for uh, a loan because of bad credit? He said, if you are, raise your hand. Come forward. We have a program at this church that will help you get your credit clear, and we will get you in a house. People got housed. That's why they stayed at that church. That's the kind of signs and wonders. We don't. oh, somebody fell on the floor, and they were drive around. And no, no. What about helping get somebody a house, getting somebody out of the hood, helping somebody go to college, helping somebody? What about? Those are miracles, too. The church can do that. Oh, God, I don't know how many senior citizens that I've met with, and they can't even, they got a car in front of their house. They can't drive it because they can't afford the gas. They're living off of Social Security. It's not enough. And we drive into church and having we find we ought to be blessing seniors. Yeah. Just 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 because we can yeah. and because we should. Every Sunday, not because there's a somebody raising their hand and say they're getting ready to put me out. And if you see my stuff on the street, is no, no, no. Stay with me, we're finished now. Here's the best thing. The Bible says, stand with me.
1: Winning souls. The Lord kept adding to the church. When we are realizing the possibilities of God
0: through maturity, through community, through victory, through unity, folks will get saved. Anybody want to see somebody saved?
1: Amen. He kept adding to the church, and that is what the Lord wants to happen through us. A man
0: was walking on his farm in in Michigan, central Michigan, 30 years ago. And he stumbled across a rock. It wasn't that big, but when he tried to pick it up, it was, it was really heavy. But he picked it up, and he decided that he was going to use that rock to hold the door of his barn open for his animals. For 30 years, that rock sat there, opening up and holding the door of his barn open. One day, he decided, mm, that rock hadn't changed in 30 years. Maybe something weird about it. Took it to a scientist, found out it was a meteorite. Worth $100,000. What God has for us, we're using as a doorstop. If we would just understand that we're gonna walk down this second mile Christian road together, we're gonna to allow the Lord to loose us into our victory. And when we do that, the promise. I will bless you beyond what you can even imagine. That ought to be the experience of every Christian. Are you willing to say yes to God's possibility? Somebody say
1: amen. Amen. With every head bowed and all eyes closed.